listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tuss, and today I'll be speaking with author Suzanne Feldman about her new book, The Witch Bottle and Other Stories. Suzanne received her master's in creative writing from John Hopkins University, and she is the author of five novels, including the critically acclaimed historical novel, Sisters of the Great War. Welcome back to the show, Suzanne. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. Good. Now, look, you have written award-winning books in several genres, including science fiction, uh, under the name Savannah Parks. Savannah Park. It's uh, it's actually the name of a suburb in Maryland. Yeah. yeah. You've also written historical novels like Sisters of the Great War and other fiction. But in The Witch Bottle and Other Stories, you're writing short stories and novellas. What made you decide to make uh, the change and try in uh, in that area? Well, honestly, I've been writing short stories uh, since I started writing. So um, a lot of these stories were published in other places over the years, and um, we just managed to get them together in a collection. So mm-hmm. some of them are, oh, at least 10 years old. Some of them are a little bit newer than that. And some took um, like five or six years to write. So, uh, you know, it, it just takes time when, you, um, you know, when you're working on even short stuff takes time, like novels. Well, when you start off writing a story, okay, do you know at the outset, okay, this is going to be a short story, or this is going to be a novella, or this is going to be a novel, or do you kind of come to that conclusion at some point in the writing? Um, eventually, I figure it out. I'm like, <laughs> either this is too short to be a, a, short, uh, a novel, or it's too long to be a short story. And, uh, you know, somewhere in between, you know, it, it comes to its end. Mm-hmm. So uh, I generally, when I'm writing really anything, I have sort of this vision of how it's going to look at the end. Right. That vision may or may not be true. Uh, but I really like the discovery in just writing and writing and writing and seeing what happens. Uh, and um, that's something in a novel, it takes a really long time to get through all that. But in a short story, you know, it, it takes... I try to write like a thousand words a day or thereabouts, uh-huh. and um, a short story is generally from 3,000 to, mm, let's say, 7,000 words. So I can write them pretty fast when I have the ideas, and then I just go back and kind of, you know, take stock of what, what it, is it going to work, you know, yeah. is it not yeah. going to work. Well, you, you said you have a vision. I'm curious. Um, I had a, a writer on recently, David Ellis, who's written crime novels with James Patterson, and he said Patterson would send him a detailed outline of every chapter. Do you outline at all, or do you I just? I don't. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I um. I'm what's known in the writing parlance as a pantser, which just <laughs> means I write by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and uh, you know, there are some people who have to write with an outline, and those who can't write with an outline. And right. I'm one of the people who absolutely cannot write with an outline. <laughs> Because at that point, you know, it's already written. Why, why write it again? Right, right. All right, well, let me ask you this before we turn to the specific stories. Um, from a writing standpoint, okay, what's, uh-huh. the, what's the biggest difference between writing a short story versus the full-length novel? Time. Definitely time. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, at, at, the, at the end of the short story, you know, it's going to be a week later, and you're like, wow, look what I got done. I feel so accomplished. <laughs> And at the end of a novel, it's been, oh, two, three, possibly ten years, and you're like, is it done? Is it really done? Yeah, yeah. Well, don't you, I I assume you have a difference in how much you can devote to character development 
and having to make choices as to what you put in the short story to make sure that you've conveyed the character versus the ability to maybe do that over a longer period with the novel. Yeah. Yeah. And also with descriptions and, you know, building, yeah. you know, the world of the of the novel. Mm-hmm. And I like short stories because you really do have to do it so with such brief brush strokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that very challenging. And I, and I, I like a challenge. Uh, and, you know, a novel, you know, you have so much room to expand and to find new plot lines and subplots and... You know, and just different things happen along the way. It's it's really more of a journey than a short story is, which is just like a quick trip to someplace. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned brush strokes because I'm going to use that here in a second. So there, are, let's talk about the book. There's six stories in the book. Um, in several of the stories, the one titled, for example, Untitled Number Twenty, and another one titled Self Portrait, mm-hmm. uh, the stories revolve around artists. Yeah. Is any of that autobiographical? Since you mentioned brush strokes. Well, actually, uh, my uh, bachelor's degree is from is in general fine arts from the Maryland Institute in Baltimore. Uh, I taught art for almost 30 years in the public schools in Maryland, and uh, so I I am actually someone told me once, "Wow, you are disgustingly talented." So I would have to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Modesty not being one of your stronger points. <laughs> I'm not modest, <laughs> uh, but uh, so. You know, writing about art is something I really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel very, uh, you know, complete when I write about art because right. I'm—I feel like I'm doing both art and writing. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's a nice combination for me. And and a novel that I just finished is about young women in art school in the '70s fighting hard to get gallery space in ba- what is basically man's world. Of art. Well, that that grows from one of the stories here uh, a little bit. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Okay, so you you have experience, obviously, as a painter, Mm -hmm. a visual medium, we'll call it. Okay, Mm -hmm. does that help you when you turn to writing prose? Uh, I think it does. Um, I'm really good, you know. Again, with the modesty and Uh uh, descriptions. And I find that I can, uh, in fact, one of my editors told me once that uh, I, she really liked my ability to, to build um, a situation with, you know, and a description with just a few brief brush strokes and then, you know, set the characters against that. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, I'm not sure I just answered your question. No, you, you did, actually. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I had not thought of this, but I think there is a lot of overlap between different art. I interviewed a... Um, a writer the other day who's also a, a musician. And when I asked about short stories and how does she transition, she said, well, it's like with songs. You have to figure out which song comes after the next song uh, or the prior song. And that's how she did her chapter. So I, I think that there is that overlap. And it th- certainly comes through in this collection that you've put together. All right. So let's talk about, uh, let, let's start with the story, Untitled Number 20. Okay. The gallery owner, suggests that the painting that your female character brings to her for a possible showing should have, quote, a written component, close quote, on the painting. First yeah. of all, first of all, explain to those of us that might not know what that means. So when you go to an art gallery or a museum and you see the picture on the wall and there's a little note card next to it with the artist's name mm-hmm. and, the, you know, what, what kind of paint they used and, you know, uh, when it was painted, I guess, in the artist's lifetime. So that's the written component of those artistic works. Um, and what this gallery owner wants 
the artist to do is to actually write on top of the painting, explaining right. the work, which is just a bridge too far for most of us. Right. But it creates a dilemma for this artist, right? Yes. And, and you know, what I got out of it is, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but it's the struggle for authenticity. Right? It exactly is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk then about another story where art plays a, a role, and that's self-portrait, the story called Self-Portrait. Mm-hmm. Now, in this story, which, which I, I, I confess, um, I, I wasn't happy completely with the ending, but, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but I got it. I did get it because we've all been there. Uh, in this story, the female artist, Lisa, has a relationship that breaks up and ends. Okay? Mm-hmm. And her boyfriend's probably been cheating. There's some reference to that. But in response, she cuts off her hair mm-hmm. and she begins painting nudes of herself. Now, what are her paintings, uh, painting of herself nude, meant to symbolize here? Well, you know, she's pretty much been stripped of her mm-hmm. self-respect. Yeah. So she is really painting what is left. When I was writing that, uh, I had just um, come back from seeing an exhibit of um, Robert Diebenkorn mm-hmm. at, the, at the now-defunct Corcoran Gallery in D.C., and he did some amazing paintings of just like these partial nudes that are hidden behind like veils of paint. And they were beautiful, stunning paintings. And I thought, wow, I really would like to put those in a book. So uh, those were the ones I had in mind when I was writing this. But they, they're just, you know, they're exposed yet covered, which I find very interesting. Yeah, it, it look, it's a great story. When Thank I you. said, you know, I was bothered by it, it's just I'm bothered by that vulnerability, that exposure. Yeah. But, but that's a universal theme, and it comes across really well in the story. Thank All you. right, we're going to jump to another one. In the story, and this one, this one also took a turn on me, and I really liked it. In the story, the stages. Okay, uh-huh. Heather has a terminal diagnosis, uh, right. cancer, to mother, if you will, and she discovers that her 16-year-old daughter is pregnant. Yeah. But yet, in the midst of what looks like it's going to be a, a catastrophe, there's a glimmer of hope from an unlikely source. Right? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, so I used to teach high school. And, uh, you know, kids got pregnant all the time. And you would just be like, what were you thinking? And, of course, they weren't thinking. Um, And so this kind of grew out of, you know, my frustration with, you know, the sort of casual throwing away of your future, you know, that you don't even know what it's going to hold. Uh, and, you know, so this teenage daughter gets pregnant on purpose because she wants her mother to have a grandchild before her mother passes away from cancer. And, um, and although this is, and this is a 16-year-old daughter, uh, so although nobody wants this for their child, because it really is, it's like, you know, you're 16 and you're going to have a baby, uh, you know, she is slowly convinced that it's going to be okay for her daughter because the boyfriend, uh, his mother, is going to carry on um, caring for her daughter and and the baby when it comes, even though um, the mother um, 
is going to be gone herself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very moving story. Thank you. And and I again, you know, I was surprised by the twist because you you led the book go in one direction, but you end up with this uh, with a nice conclusion at the end at the end of it. All right, so one of my favorite stories in the collection is called the Lapido Child. Mm-hmm. This story is set in Mississippi during the Depression and involves a wonderful character named Dr. Clarence Miller. Yes. <laughs> did, you, did you have to do any research uh, for the story on Mississippi during the Depression? Well, uh, I had just finished a book called Absalom's Daughters, mm-hmm. uh, which um, I actually went to Mississippi to do some research. Uh, and uh, so that book got published in 2016, and I still had a lot left over from that novel in my mind that I wanted to write down. So, because it was, you know... The South is such an interesting place to write about. Mm. Depression era Mississippi, I find very compelling because you know nobody had anything, right. and um, so this was kind of bits and pieces from Absalom's daughters, but it's a story that you know holds together on its own. Yeah, it really does. All right, well, let me ask you about uh, the the novella Goat Island. Mm-hmm. Um, for listeners that may not be familiar, what makes a novella as opposed to a novel? So a novella is the middle step and the red-headed stepchild between a novel and a short story. And, you know, everything is word count. So it's, um, it's 20,000 words or thereabouts or between 10 and 20,000 words. And I don't even know how many pages that is anymore. But um, it is it is the redheaded stepchild of of, um, of writing. Nobody wants them. And when I wrote this, I was like, Oh God, where is this even going to go? And it never got published in a magazine because it was just too long. Uh, but um, it did get published in this uh, in this collection. Well, how do you know um, when you're writing a story like this? Okay, this is going to be a novella or a novel, or do you not know until it's finished? With this one, I had no idea. I didn't even know when it was done, because it could have gone on and on. <laughs> uh, the main character has so many issues yes, uh, and so many challenges that it really, I felt like this could have been a novel at some point. But um, I decided that, you know, once her, most of her issues resolve and she, re- and she kind of figures out what to do with her life, uh, that that's where the story needed to end. Yeah, and that one occurs in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. So you're moving around geographically here, right? My um, my mother-in-law used to live there. And ah, okay. uh, so we would go down to see her, you know, every year or so. And New Mexico, in general, is such an amazing place. But this is in the sort of southern end of New Mexico, the story where it takes place, and where it's really mostly desert. There's like one person per square mile. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are coyotes, there are antelope, uh, and there's a lot of sagebrush and roadrunners, and, that, and that's like it. Uh, they, uh, it's a very interesting place. It's very out of the way, uh, and you know, life is different in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about um, the story, the witch bottle, for which okay. the uh, collection gets its title. And this story uh, revolves around the question of whether or not their next-door neighbor is a witch. Certainly, yeah. probably an idea many of us have had on occasion. <laughs> um, can you give us any insight of where the story idea came from? I think it came from the first sentence. I mm-hmm. just wrote that, 
and thought, well, okay, let's try and see what happens now. So I just wrote it. I do not live next door to a witch, nor do I know anybody who lives next door to a witch, (laughs) Um, nor do I know any witches, as far as I can tell. Uh, But this one was uh, was fun to write. It's uh, kind of a risky story to write because it's in second person, Uh um, present tense. Right. So it's all about you do this and you do that. And it's not something that um, is, uh, you know, it's not a popular technique, mm-hmm. but um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. I'm really glad. Oh, it works. Well, I, let me let me ask you if I can to get you to read an excerpt uh, from it. I can do that. Okay, great. Okay, if you, and so if you need to set it up in any way, go ahead and do that. Okay. Uh, so this is the title story, The Witch Bottle, um, from the collection The Witch Bottle and Other Stories. You know it's irrational, but you believe the nosy woman who lives next door is a witch. Not the kind of witch you cast spells, but a poisoner. You know there is such a thing because you've found it on the Internet. You've found the antidote, too. To avoid being poisoned by witches, take a blue bottle, fill it with your own fingernail clippings and hair, six metal nails, and a little urine. Cork it and bury it upside down in the ground. That's what it says on the Internet. You'll be safe from the most intimate sources of poison. The question of why she wants to poison you is a good one. Maybe you scared her cat when you pulled into the driveway. Maybe she was using those binoculars she keeps on the back porch, which she says are for watching birds, but didn't like what she saw when she was peeping through your blinds from her own house. Maybe she didn't like the way you make love to your wife, not that it's any of her business, not in any way at all. Even if your wife isn't all that pleased with your sexual technique and puts up with it and maybe said something to her girlfriends, which may have somehow gotten back to the witch next door. Maybe the witch thinks she'd be doing your wife a favor by getting you out of the way. The witch has a basement full of poisons and potions if you listen to your kids. She lives alone and has no family to speak of. You tell your kids that it's nothing but a Halloween story that's gotten out of control, but deep in your heart... While you're looking around in the liquor store, you're keeping an eye out for something that comes in a blue bottle. You find two things, cheap Rieslings and a Bombay Blue Gin. You buy a couple of bottles of Riesling because you think you'll drink that faster than the gin. The wine is cheap enough that you could just pour it out and use the bottle right away. You wonder how you're going to explain the fingernail clippings, the hair, and urine to your wife, much less the act of burying something in the backyard. The backyard is a carefully landscaped postage stamp without a lot of room for a secret burial of a bottle or even a dead pet. When the dog died under suspicious circumstances last year, you left the body at the vets to be cremated, and now the dog sits in a solemn wooden box on the the mantel over the gas fireplace. You blame the witch. You know you do. (laughs) That's wonderful. All right, i got to ask, where did you come up with this antidote for being poisoned by a witch? Oh, I looked on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and there really is such an antidote on the internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. It's absolutely true. You can find anything you want on the internet. It's incredible. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, let me, let me end with this question, if I can. Sure. So sometimes authors will tell me that they, they write simply for themselves. And, you know, others will say they write to convey certain thoughts on social or political issues. You know, some simply try to entertain. What, what motivates you to write? Well, I'm one of those people who really has to write. If I, if I don't write, I'm just twiddling my thumbs and getting into trouble. 
Um, I write because I really enjoy doing it. It's a creative outlet for me. I think I would probably write even if I wasn't selling stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, old and retired now, and um, I don't actually need the money at this point. (laughs) But uh, I do... I do like making people laugh, and I, I like writing entertaining stories as, as much as the next person. Uh, but I also like to you know, make my point mm-hmm. about certain things that I think are um, issues that need to be addressed. And uh, like the, um, the book that I'm working on right now about women in art school is a lot about um, how women don't get the same opportunities, but it's, almost very, it's a very disguised kind of thing in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, and how do they come into their own? How do they fight that? You know, and you know the way things look right now politically. It, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like this is a prime time to start asking those questions. That's true. That's true. Is is part of why you write? I don't know if you if you've thought of it in these terms. Also, just self exploration. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, the book that I'm working on about art school is is. It's not really autobiographical because none of those things happened to me, mm-hmm. but it, it is informed by, you know, being in my early 20s and being in art school in Baltimore uh, for, you know, four years and just the serious highs and lows that came with that. Well, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to go a little bit longer with you because since you've mentioned that, mm-hmm. you know, there are lots of issues affecting uh, books and writers right now, yeah. um, you know, across the country since you mentioned the environment and that. Um, are you, do you ever feel constrained or, you know, oh, I, I probably shouldn't write that because of the potential ramifications? No, I like getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you know, why, am I not, why am I not surprised by that? <laughs> bring it on. Um, uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I would probably write more to that point mm-hmm. rather than less. Yeah? Yeah. You are plugged into a very large writing community, I know. Um, is this a topic that folks discuss? You know? uh, yeah, we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, banned books mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the political climate. But mostly we talk about, you know, does this sentence work? Yeah, I got you. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Toos, and today I've been speaking with author Suzanne Feldman about her new book of short stories and novellas titled The Witch Bottle and Other Stories. Suzanne, is, is there a website or other social media that listeners can go to in order to find out more about the book and about your other writings? Sure. Um, I'm on Facebook, Suzanne Feldman Author. Um, also on Instagram, you can see my paintings, oh, uh, okay. which is Suzanne Feldman Author. Okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter, um, that's Suzanne21702, which is my zip code. Uh, let's see, what are the other ones? Yeah, um, and you've got a website? Oh, yes, my website is just SuzanneFeldman.net. Well, this has been enjoyable, Suzanne. Thank, thank you, you so for be- much. Well, thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, always.